You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Listen to God's word from Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints and of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Lord, thank you. We can call you our Father. And we have grace from you. Peace in you. And Lord, we know that we have this because of Jesus Christ the man from Nazareth, God sent from heaven, who willingly gave his life so that we might have life in him, who died so that we might, by faith in him, die with him and be risen to life by the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we have this good news and that In it, we are privileged to call you our Father and be amongst brothers and sisters who are beloved by you. To worship your holy name, we are glad and thankful to be here. Speak to us, and your servants will listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Harvest, that passage will be your text today, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. Maybe you felt a time in your life like I have before, when you're lost for words. What can you do when something needs to be said, but you feel like you're at a loss for words? Men, men at some point, you were once, like me, a young boy. And there's probably a time in your life where you first caught eyes for a cute girl. And you had words you wanted to say to that girl, but with clammy hands and a heart pounding out of your chest, you went to that girl and you just stumbled out of you and they walked away. <laughs> and you told your friends, like, oh man, I wish, wish you could have had that one back. Or maybe you've experienced before in your, um, at your job and you know there's this one coworker who just like really needs a mint. And you tell your coworker, oh, who's gonna say it? Who's gonna tell him? Oh, no, it's too awkward. You do it. No, you do it. Oh, it's too awkward. What do you do when you have words to say, but you feel like you're at a loss for words? You know, praying is one of the simplest and naturalest things that a Christian can do. A child speaking with her father. But you've probably felt like I have before. Sometimes it's hard to pray. 
You don't feel like you have the words to say. The Apostle Paul was asked to write a letter to the people in a church in a city called Colossae. A man named Epaphras asked him to write this letter. There was false teaching that had saturated into the life of the church, and Paul needed to address it. But before he addressed their concerns, he tells them that he has been praying for them. And that when he prays, these are the words that he has. I always give thanks to God. I hope that Harvest would be a thankful church. I hope that we would be a prayer-filled church. But if we feel like we're lost for words in prayer, how can we learn to pray? Today we're going to see that the gospel inspires thanksgiving to God through prayer. The gospel inspires thanksgiving to God. And Colossians 1 verse 1 to 8 demonstrates four conditions that can inspire us to give thanks to God through prayer. If you want to learn how to pray, if you want to be thankful, you will leave today with words in your mouth when you feel like you've been, though you may feel like you've been at a loss for words. So what are these conditions? There's four of them. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, you can write this down. We'll be inspired to give thanks to God when we join together in love. We'll be inspired to give thanks to God when we join together in love. As I said, the book of Colossians was written by Paul on behalf or at the request of a man named Epaphras. He wrote to address false teaching. And when Paul introduces himself to the church, he introduces himself as someone with the rightful authority to actually address concerns of false teaching. Look at the scripture with me, verse 1. How does Paul introduce himself? Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. By addressing himself as an apostle, Paul is saying that he has the authority to address concerns of false teaching. Not his own authority, not by his own will, but by the authority delegated to him by Jesus Christ. Because Paul had seen the resurrected Christ and was sent by the will of Christ. Paul had the rightful authority to be able to address these concerns, but uniquely, Paul doesn't look at these people, whom he has never seen before, by the way. Epaphras planted the church. Epaphras was the normal teacher there. Paul had never seen them. He had the authority, but he didn't approach them like some headstrong guy on a power trip keeping his subordinates under his thumb and letting them know who had the authority. No, 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 no. Look at how Paul considered his relationship with them. Verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. By addressing them as saints, Paul knows that just like him, they were chosen by God to be God's special people. 
It wasn't something that they had earned, but by God's sovereign grace, just as God called Paul, God called these people. He was able to look at them and say, we have a common identity. By addressing them as faithful brothers and saying that God was their father, Paul knew that just like him, they were adopted by God. And the same God that loves him loves them. So he could look at them and say, I'm your brother. We are family. We'll be inspired to give thanks to God when we are a church that is joined together in love. Christmas season just passed, and like me, you may have had family get-togethers. And like me, you've probably had challenging family get-togethers in the past. I remember one when I was in my teens that was pretty dicey. I was really looking forward to open presents on the 25th, but on the 24th, we were so at each other's throats that we did not want to give gifts to each other. But by God's grace, we were able to reconcile. Some of us have challenging family relationships, but for better or for worse, we only have one blood family. Some of us have had challenging church relationships. Maybe you're visiting our church because you've been hurt from another church. Maybe you're no longer in a small group at our church because you felt hurt by someone in a former small group. For better or for worse, the church is the family of faith. And we have one father. Are you able to look at other Christians knowing that we're sinners and join together in love with them? Are you able to look at the other people in this building and say, you're my brother, you are my sister, and I can love you because I know that we have the same father who loves both of us equally? You know, I've been asked a lot of questions a lot of questions have been asked of me in this recent leadership transition at our church. And the two most common questions that have been asked are this. Number one, what was the process like? Did they interview you? What did they do? The second question was asked often by people who I served with in youth ministry. And this has actually been the most common one. Do I have to call you pastor now? <laughs> and my response has been Listen, if you think that my life is exemplary of what the Bible says a pastor should live, sure, you're glad you can call me pastor. But I would invite each and every one of you to call me brother because we have the same father. I've been at the ch this church since 2010. I know that I have acted in ways that has hurt other people in our church and was insensitive. I have been hurt by other people in this church. But as Pastor Paul Whittingstall told us so many times from this pulpit, there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. And for better or for worse, we are the family of faith. You don't need to stay at an arm's distance from the one God loves in the same way that he loves you. Open your heart to God and open your heart to other Christians. If you join together in love, Knowing we have a common identity, you will be inspired to give thanks 
just like Paul. He never even saw these people. Yet he could still call them brothers and sisters in love. We'll be inspired to give thanks to God when we join together in love. There's another condition that Paul says. Here's the second one. We'll be inspired to give thanks to God when we recognize genuine change. When we see change in other people's lives. When we see change in our own lives, we will be inspired to give thanks. In another, le- another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, Galatians, he said in Galatians 5.16, what really counts in Christian living? What really counts? What are we really going for? What are we really aiming for in our growth of maturity as we strive for maturity? Paul said in Galatians 5.6, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but faith working through love. That's what counts. That's genuine change. Now look at the text and we'll see that that's what Paul saw in the Colossian church, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints. Paul saw genuine change in their life and he gave thanks to God for it. Now, in our English translation of the Bible, verse 4, where it says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, a plain reading of the English translation makes it seem like Christ is the object of our faith. And that's true. Christ is the object of our faith. By putting your faith in Christ, you will be saved. But in the original language that the Apostle Paul wrote, there was a different emphasis that he was trying to articulate here by saying that he heard of their faith in Christ. It's like this. A couple years ago in the winter, my wife and I went to um, a greenhouse in Markham. It's located on Markham Road in Major Mac. It was a frigid day outside, but as soon as I got inside of the greenhouse, I immediately had to take off my jacket because it was really humid inside. Like, I was sweating, really humid, really hot. And because of that environment, even though it was frigid outside, there were beautiful, exotic, tropical plants flourishing inside. And I knew that if I took them outside of that environment, they would have immediately died. But in that environment, they flourished. When Paul said that they had a faith in Christ, he said that, Wherever they went, where, whatever they did, their faith flourished under and in this Christ-like environment. They were the same at a service with Christians as they were when they were at home as they were with their jobs. Their faith lived and acted out under this Christ-like environment. Wherever they were, acknowledging Christ as Lord. Wherever they were, acknowledging Christ as Savior. Living and acting out their faith, and as a result, it shouldn't be surprising that Paul says of them that they have a love for all the saints. Because if your faith is lived out in this Christ-like environment wherever you go, you're going to do what Christ did, and that's love one another. What counts is faith working through love, and when you see that genuine change in others and in yourself, someone who loves Jesus is going to give thanks to God when they see that change. Do you see change in your own life? Do you see change in our church's life? Imagine all of us 
we're going to go to a baseball game. Some of you are just like, oh, really? Do I have to go? It's imaginary. Just deal with it, okay? My wife and I went to one baseball game. My wife and I went to one baseball game. <laughs> if we all went to a baseball game together, where would you want to sit? What vantage point would you want to have to watch the game? Some of you might want to sit in the outfield because you like seeing the outfielders run around and make catches. And maybe you'll be able to see a home run up close. Some of you might want to sit on the foul line because balls keep getting hit that way and you might actually catch a ball. Me, if I had the money, I'd want to sit behind home plate because at home plate you can actually like hear the umpire and hear the players talking and watch very closely at all the details of what's happening at the plate. And you know, being on staff here at Harvest, now being the senior pastor, I kind of feel like I have that type of vantage point when I look out and see what is playing out in our church. I'm able to see what's happening, and church, be encouraged. Be thankful. I see evidence of faith working through love. At the end of 2018, we had some giving campaigns. Do you remember? We had the Operation Christmas Child Giving Campaign. This year was our biggest year for giving for the shoeboxes. 750-some-odd shoeboxes were given. Record year. Did you know that nearly 200 of those boxes were given from one family? Faith working through love. We had our Christmas offering this year, and we set a goal of giving at $140,000. And praise God, over $150,000 was given. And because of your generosity, church, there are people from our congregation that struggle to put food on their table who are able to have grocery gift cards for Christmas. We are able to send a big check to the Markham Crisis Pregnancy Center to help moms in need. We're able to send money to five church plants within our network, the Great Commission Collective. Faith working through love. I think of our small group ministries and the reports that I'm hearing of good things happening here. In our mixed small groups, one, one small group uh, couple uh, befriended uh, non-Christians in their neighborhood. And by invitation, that couple visited the small group. And at the small group, they, this non-Christian couple heard the good news of Jesus God opened their eyes, they recognized they were sinners, and they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. People are being saved. I think of men's ministry. Yesterday morning, nearly 100 men came out to a free breakfast, a free breakfast that was advertised uh, where a talk would be given. What was the topic about? Shame. You want to draw people out to church? Tell them to get together and talk about each other's shame. But 100 people came out to hear about it. And 30 to 40 people come out at 7 o'clock to men's ministry weekly for Bible teaching and community. Faith working through love. I think of women's ministry. Our women's director, Jocelyn, tells us that there's a lot of trials going on in women's ministry right now. Marital trouble, financial trouble, health problems, deaths in family. But still, even through the trials, other women are not letting them struggle alone. They are bearing burdens with each other. That's faith working through love. I think a youth ministry. 31 high schoolers up now, right now in Muskoka 
eight adult leaders who probably got zero sleep last night. But they went, giving up a weekend, giving up time with their family so that they could tell these young people about Jesus. And some of our youth are inviting their non-Christian friends from public schools to pay $200 to go with them. Faith working through love. I think of young adults ministry. Two of our faithful young adults years ago had a heart to want to serve homeless people in the city. So on their own initiative, they gathered their friends and month by month, they put together money so that they could get care packages together, go downtown and serve the, go- uh, the homeless people with the gospel and with food. Other young adults, they had free time, as young adults do. And, and what did they want to do with their free time? Let's learn systematic theology. And then they came to the church and said, can you teach us a class on systematic theology? And Daniel Meyer is doing that. God is at work. I think, of, I think of kids ministry. And winter's not a fun time to work in kids ministry. You know you're going and you're going to get some kind of sickness and some kind of, but people keep serving. There was a need. Some people had left, but more people came committed week after week. You might not see it in your own life, but there is genuine change happening in our church faith working through love. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian who loves Jesus and wants to see disciples made, you will hear this and give thanks. The gospel inspires thanksgiving. We will be inspired when we see evidence, when we see genuine change. But there's another condition. Here's the third condition in which we can be inspired to give thanks. We will be inspired to give thanks when we remember the cause for change. See, you might be coming here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and you hear me spat out this list of good moral things that our church has done and you're like, whoa, these are like religious people who are trying hard to be good. Let me tell you something quickly. No good Christian thinks they're a good Christian because they're innately good in their own nature. Christians who do good works don't do it so that they're trying to earn something from God. Christians who do good works know they're wretched, depraved, corrupt, selfish, evil people. But because they've been loved much, they've been forgiven much, they love much. Because they've been forgiven much, They love much, and we are forgiven because of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the message. Jesus suffered for our sins so that we could be saved from our sins to enjoy eternal and abundant life with God. And because we know we need to be forgiven, because we know we're sinners, and because we know how much we've been forgiven, we want to do good works. The gospel is the reason for change. The gospel is the cause for change. And that's what Paul saw in the Colossians. Look at verse 3 to verse 6. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of the saints. Why? Why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does amongst you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. See, Paul knew that their faith and their love was a product 
of the hope of the gospel. And Paul said that they had a hope that was secured for them in heaven. They had a future hope that they knew no matter what happened on this life, when Christ returns or if they lost their life, they would be in glory, in paradise. They had that hope. But there's a second type of hope that the gospel produces. More than just the future hope, the present reality that the good news of Jesus transforms our lives. That though we are wretched people, we are cleansed and purified in Christ and made more into the likeness of Christ as we walk by faith in him and as we abide in his word. See, the gospel bears fruit in our life. Bearing fruit means uh, there's evidence of change, of transformation. Believing in Christ forgives you and changes you to look like Christ. And the Apostle Paul said that this hope of the present transforming reality that was happening in the Colossian church was also happening across the world. The gospel is the power of God that transforms lives. Fads and trends don't change lives. Fads and trends might produce a hollow appearance of change, but it's not true transformation. A lot of fads and trends permeate the church, but, but the change that I see in our church isn't a result of strategic programs or outreach opportunities or, or clever thinking. No, no, no. Fads and trends don't last 20 centuries like the gospel has. Divine power in supernatural truth does. Fads and trends don't translate well from culture to culture, but, but the same thing that was happening in Colossae, Paul said, was happening across the world. And the same thing that's happening here in Markham is happening in the churches we planted in Newmarket, and the church we planted in Durham, and the churches we've been a part of planting in Haiti, and the churches our network is planting in Nepal and Liberia. You know what they do in Nepal? They have Sherpas in Nepal. But the gospel that changes lives in Nepal changes Western lives in Canada. The gospel is not a fad or a trend. It is the divine power of God. And when you see, when you know that the reason for change is because of the gospel, you will give thanks to God. But maybe you don't see change in your life right now. Maybe you look at your lifestyle and you know that you are a thankless, prayerless churchgoer. Which is hard to conceive that a Christian could be thankless or prayerless. Friend, is that where you are today? Do you live your life prayerlessly? A prayerless Christian can have no more life than a fetus disconnected from its mother's umbilical cord. A thankless Christian looks at the world like a godless person does. Are they even a Christian? If you don't see change in your life right now, then friend, you need to know this. The problem isn't the seed, it's the soil. 
Jesus said that the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel is like a seed that's cast and planted on soil. And, and the heart, which is the soil, the heart that receives it with gladness, it's true, I need it, it's the only way. The heart that receives it like that will bear fruit in some 10, in some 50, in some 100 fold. But there are some hearts that can't bear fruit. Is the soil of your heart marred by stubbornness? A stubborn heart cannot change because it will not admit it's wrong and is not willing to consider that their opinion could be false. A stubborn heart will not change. Don't be stubborn, be tender. An anxious heart can't change. See, an anxious heart is like soil that is, that is filled with weeds. And as soon as the seed is cast onto it, the weeds immediately choke out the seed. You might hear the message of the gospel week after week at church, and it feels okay for the moment, but as soon as you leave, you're worried about the kids and worried about the schedule and worried about the finances, and anything that might have been good at church is choked out. Is that your heart? God has said that if you trust him as father, he will care for your daily needs, and your job is to seek first the kingdom. Stubborn hearts can't receive the gospel. Anxious hearts can't receive. Shallow hearts can't either. A shallow heart is someone who's only in it for the emotional experience and doesn't want to have a depth of learned doctrine. So you might see people in the church, and this might even be yourself, where just like hands in the air, when the cymbals are clashing, you're like, feels so good. But then when you, by experience, realize, oh, Christianity means I need to suffer? Oh, Jesus asks me to serve? And you're only in it for the feeling? Then whatever looks like it's growing is scorched by the trials of our life. And what thought might have been fruit in your life is gone. Can you even recite, like, John 3.16? or you just want the feeling. Shallow hearts can't change. Stubborn hearts can't change. Anxious hearts struggle to change, but the, pro the problem isn't the seed. You might feel like you've lost hope. You might consign yourself to the parking lot of no change. You might be looking at your spouse and say, I, I'm not even expecting them. I'm just, this is the marriage I'm gonna have for the rest of my life. The problem isn't the seed, it's the soil, but what God, you don't think God can do in you has been done in countless others. Show me a sinner who you think who has no hope and I will show you another sinner who has admitted their need and has been transformed. Show me a man who is lazy and apathetic and I will show you a man who serves the Lord with zeal. Show me a woman who is fretful and anxious and I will show you a woman who prays without ceasing and has peace of mind. Show me a teen who is wandering away from their faith and I will show you a young adult who had a praying parent who fasted and afflicted themselves and God answered their prayers and brought them home. Show me a man who you think who has no hope and I will show you centuries of Christians who God has changed. Like Paul of Tarshish who was, who was oppressing 
Christians and wanting to kill them and became the apostle who wrote letters and evangelized the world. There is hope for you. The power of the gospel is able to change us. And when you see the gospel as the power, and when you see it in your own life, you'll give thanks. The gospel inspires thanksgiving to God. We'll thank God when we join together in love, when we recognize genuine change, when we remember the gospel is the reason for that change. And then this, we'll be inspired to give thanks to God when we appreciate those who have served us. Let's read the passage again. Look back with me in verse 7. This is the last point, the last condition that can inspire thanksgiving. Verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Man, Paul had a real affection for this guy Epaphras. He knew that Epaphras went to the city and evangelized it. He knew that Epaphras gathered the Christians together and kept teaching them God's word. He felt Epaphras' concern when he heard that false teaching had crept in. He looked at the work that Epaphras had done. He was like, hey man, you're a beloved fellow servant. I have a master that I'm serving so much that I'm in prison, Paul, and you, Epaphras, you're serving the same master. You are a beloved fellow servant. And then he looked to what he did with the Colossians and he told the Colossians, man, you got to know, this guy's faithful. He's faithful. Paul put his apostolic stamp of approval on Epaphras. There may be false teachers teaching you a, a, a false message, but what Epaphras has told you, you can trust that. He's committed to you. Paul had a dear appreciation for this man because of the effort and the love he had for these people. Who is it that first shared the gospel to you? Who is it that has been so instrumental in your walk with Christ that you didn't think you'd be, you wouldn't know where you'd be if it wasn't for God using them? God specifically chose to use Epaphras. It was my parents that first shared the gospel with me. And because of the influence of my grandparents and aunts and uncles, I put my faith in Jesus Christ at a young age. And as I grew up, Many people invested into my life. I think of youth leaders in high school, um, mentors in college, roommates who uh, introduced me to Christian authors that taught me about the beauty of Scripture, camp directors who gave me the opportunity to preach when I couldn't string a word together, elders who hired me as a, as a, as a 20-year-old intern who had no experience, small groups and small group leaders who shared life with me and and my praying and patient wife, Jenny, who just is faithful with me, even though I am selfish. God could have chosen to use many people, but in my life, God chose to use people like Dave and Sonia Locke, like Mike Smith and Ryan Robertson and, and Dakota Zook and A.W. Tozer and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Paul Whittingstall and George Stavropoulos and... Janny Locke, and many, many more. And I'm, I would not be where I am today if it was not for these people in my life. 
and to look at out at our church right now, and I know that our room is filled with faithful servants of Christ. Tina and Kevin, I'm so thankful for the effort that you guys put into Awana and Harvest Summer Kids and with your small group. Amen. Praise God. You know how much joy I had when your small group multiplied this past fall? So cool. We need more small groups. We need more small group leaders. It gives me so much joy to see more leaders matured and multiplied in our church. Praise God for the people in our church. I'm thankful for people like Keith and Heather Lakeman, who I was able to work with in small group ministries. And thanks for the effort that you put in caring for the groups that you oversee and for the way that you love your own group and do Bible studies with them and read books with them. We love you and we love your family much. I pray for you and for your kids often. You are beloved, Keith and Heather. There are many in our church who I know are beloved people because I see the way that you're serving and I know we have the same master. And I see the way that you serve the church and and so many people who have grown so much wouldn't be in the place they were if it wasn't for people like this. And hey, if, if you know you've been served, then it's time for you to serve. Remember what Jesus said when he called his first disciples in the Gospel of Mark? He didn't say to them, follow me and I will make you followers of me. He said to me, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The call to discipleship is a call to make disciples. If you have heard the call, then you must make the call to others. God forbid that this would be like as even George prayed this morning, the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because water only comes in, but it never goes out. God forbid that this would just be a place who welcomes people in and doesn't challenge them to serve the common good of the body of Christ. Christian, you are a member of the body and Christ is your head. Are are you atrophied right now? Because an atrophy muscle for the good of the body needs to be cut off so the rest of it won't get sick. You have the Holy Spirit. God is the Lord of the harvest and he's calling to you. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are a few. Come, come into the harvest. Will you serve? I get Thanks. I give thanks for the faithful servants in our church. But I am upset that there are some people who seem that they just leech. But I believe that God can use you. I give thanks for those who are faithful servants in our church. We can give thanks to God when we appreciate those who served you. How can you be a reason for others to give thanks to God? The gospel inspires thanksgiving to God. If you are thankful, if you've heard this message and your heart has been stirring within you, what do you do? If you're thankful, then show it to God in prayer. If you are thankful that we are a family, that that there is change, that the gospel is the reason for change, and that people have served you, if you're thankful, then the correct response, the only response is to turn your attention to God. Prayer's hard. It's hard, but it should be the simplest and naturalest thing that we do. 
Sometimes we may feel like we're lost for words for prayer, and we don't know how to pray. But do you know how you first learned to talk? Do you remember how you first, you probably don't remember, you were an infant when you first learned to talk. But parents know how their children learn to talk. Children learn to talk because they hear their parents speaking to them and they do their best to imitate. And your father wants to hear from you. And even if you feel like in prayer that you only have words like a babbling child, your father wants to hear from you. My daughter can put together two words, mama and dada, and they mean probably 50 things. And she has a, she's learning consonants like s and and trying to string things together, but I, I don't know what she's saying, but I just love hearing from her. And I'm going to keep talking to her so that she can learn to speak with me. And if you want to give thanks to God, if you want to learn to pray, all you need to do is listen to the voice of your father. Listen to him speak. Listen to the good news every day that Jesus suffered so that you could be saved that he loves you as his own child. Listen to the word of God. And if you've listened to the message today, you have at least three words that you can pray. I give thanks. And listen to the good news every day and you will say those words every day and your father will be glad to hear them. Your father wants to hear from you. A true Christian It's a praying Christian. A true Christian is a thankful Christian. And the gospel is our inspiration to give thanks to God. Let's pray together now. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we are a family. Thank you that in you we have life. Thank you that you are changing us. And I'm stumbling forward, God, and you see the ways that I, you see the sin that clings so closely in my heart. And I'm trying, by faith in Jesus, with my eyes set on Christ, I want to run this race with endurance, removing the sin that clings so closely, but it keeps clinging to me, God. But thank, thank you that you're patient with me. I'm glad to just think about myself as a child because it means that I can think about you as my father. And that means so much that the God who created the universe, who, who, who spoke the worlds into existence, who keeps gravity ordered by the word of his power, this God lets you, let me call you father. Thank you. Lord, you're so wonderful, you're so kind, you're so gracious for giving us a church, for giving us good news, for sending people to serve us when, when we're selfish and we need to grow. Thank you. Make us a thankful church, God. Make us a praying church. Make me a thankful pastor. Make me a praying pastor, God. And Father, as we draw near to you, we believe you will draw near to us. And we, I know that our greatest joy that we can experience is in being near to you. Blessed is the one who you choose and draw near. 
we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. And oh Lord God, we only are able to draw near because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we've been cleansed. Thank you that though we walked in darkness, you've shone unto us a marvelous light and we don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to turn from the light, but we can be open and not afraid that you see the dark parts of our heart because Christ has cleansed us. Thank you that we can be near to you. Thank you, God. You are worthy, Lord. We are needy. We pray together in Jesus' name.